I titled this sermon, The Proving Grounds. The Proving Grounds. Just uh, three verses here today. It's actually one sentence, but for Paul, that's at least three verses, right? I mean, he, this guy likes commas. Um, so we're going to be studying just, just one sentence, and, uh, and really, it's amazing how much is in these just uh, few verses here. The Proving Grounds. Let's pray as we prepare to hear from the Lord. God, now we're opening your word and we look to you. We delight in you. We thank you for the gift that your word is to us. And Father, we pray now through your Holy Spirit that we would see you, that these words would be more than just black on white, but, but that there would be life flowing from these pages, jumping out into our souls, causing us to be more solid and more fixed upon you to strengthen our faith and to give us a, a vision as to how to suffer for your glory and how to walk through trials of life in a way that would uh, benefit our, our soul and your kingdom. Equip us now, Lord, with these things and lead us on in Jesus' name. Amen. The Proving Grounds, let me give a, a little bit of a review Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, that last line is important because we're handing off from that into this, this next sentence. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, our our, our sentence here today. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into, uh, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. These are amazing things that Paul has just said mind-blowing realities for the Christian. It's hard for us to, to, to truly feel the impact of these things if we just read quickly through here. So what I want to do is just pull this all apart and move little by little through these words so that we can realize the implications for the Christian life that Paul has just given in, his holy, uh, in God's holy word. Let's start with the first part of verse 3. Rejoicing in the pressure is what I've said. On, on the back of your bulletin, there's some sermon notes you can track along. Rejoicing in the pressure. In the ESV, it says, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. The New American Standard I actually prefer here because it gives a truer sense of the flow, I think. We exult in the hope of the glory of God, it says, and not only this, you see that? And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. There is not a comparison happening, but an addition happening. This is not a comparison. Well, we, we, we exult in hope of the glory of God, but more than that, this. No, it's not like that. In the, the language that is being used here, it's we do this and we do this. They come together. In fact, the one leads us to the other. Exulting in hope of the glory of God is the very mechanism by which we can find a way to rejoice 
in suffering. Hmm. Suffering here, this word is, is a fascinating word. It can be translated afflictions, tribulations. It's really anything that causes pain or distress. But most literally, the, the, the word can mean pressure. It carries this idea of pressure. And some people will say, well, Paul's only referring here to being persecuted for the, the name of Christ and for the gospel. And, and I think it is certainly meaning that, but not only that. This is a, a catch-all for what it is like to live as a Christian in a broken and fallen world. There is all kinds of suffering and, and trial that is in the life of the Christian. You don't just come to Christ and everything gets perfect. You come to Christ and he can lead you to the valley of the shadow of death. For his name's sake and his glory, it is a path of righteousness for you, according to Psalm 23. And on and on. God did not promise that all your problems go away when you become a Christian. And just so we're clear, people who preach that, they're lying. That's not the gospel. The gospel is, I will save you from your sins. I will come and I will be with you. My spirit will dwell within you. And when you pass through the fire, I'm going to be with you, right? I'll be there in it. When the water gets deep, I will hold you. And so, yes, you will be sorrowful, but you can find reason to rejoice, even in the sorrow. Anything that causes pain or distress. So, you're late to work and you run into a red light on the way to work. Ah! Right? Oh, okay, trial. How am I going to respond? Right there. It seems so insignificant, doesn't it? But it's there. It's part of life. Run to the other end of the scale. And you're standing over the grave of your spouse. And you're trying to process the loss and the grief and the pain of your loved one who is now with the Lord. The, it's, it's all of that. All of that. And everything in between. Suffering here, this pressure concept is a, uh, gives us the image of a Gethsemane stone. A Gethsemane, what it was, a, an, an olive press. Basically, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. It was the Garden of the Olive Press. That's where they would press the olives. And so you have all these olive trees, and, and they would have this huge vertical stone up on um, a, a lift so that you could lift it up, and then underneath it, you would put a basket of olives. And then little by little, they would lower that stone and then add weights to the log that was holding it so that it would crush the olives. And out of those crushed olives would flow the precious and pure olive oil that would be collected in the basin below. Suffering, my friends, for the Christian is like that. God has a purpose for it. And so we can rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. I, I especially like how Martin Lloyd-Jones drew this out. He's like, listen, be clear. Paul is not saying we rejoice in spite of. That's not what he said. He also didn't say we rejoice in the midst of, which that is true, right? It's true. We can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. 
but he is actually saying we rejoice in them or on account of those sufferings, we rejoice. That, you can't escape that. Now, he's not suggesting that the suffering is good. We, we, don't, we don't just walk through life looking for pain and then calling it good. No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying, when trials come your way, rejoice. When circumstances do not go the way that you anticipated and it's pressure and it hurts and it's painful and it's difficult, rejoice. God is at work. This is not a natural inclination, at least for me. My experience is not naturally inclined to thank you, Lord, for that flat tire. This is awesome. Or thank you for this bone spur in the back of my heel that's digging into my Achilles, increasingly so. And thank you. No, my, my inclination is grumble, irritation, impatience. Why this, Lord? What in the world? Where did that come from? What is the deal with my body? Why is it doing this? What? You see how easy it is to go to that place. And these are just little things. I mean, some of you have life-altering medical challenges. We have people who cannot be at the, at the service with us because they're in so much pain. Every day. We can rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Why can we do it? Why can we rejoice in suffering, Paul? Help us. Well, three things jump out to me from the larger view of Scripture. I want to try to mix in a lot of cross-references because suffering is addressed by so many passages in the Bible. One is the certainty of our hope. This is where it all begins. We can sing for joy in our sufferings, when we meet the trial, we can rejoice because we have a certainty of hope. We are His, and nothing can change that. We are secure. We are truly invincible. We're bulletproof. Come what may, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Anything in between there? Cover. We are invincible. The certainty of our hope. I'm His. Nothing's going to change that. No amount of pain or trial. No opposition of the enemy. What can, what can prevent us from the love of God? Nothing. Secondly, the sovereignty of God. We're reminded often there is no trial, there is no pain, there is no circumstance that would meet me that has not already passed through the grid, the sifting of an all-wise God who has determined that indeed this is his best for me in this moment. Whoa. Anyone who in suffering wants to comfort you by saying that God is not sovereign, they are stealing away the ground you stand on when you go and pray to a God like that. He is sovereign. He has brought this pain. Job would even say, shall we receive good from the hand of God and not, many people say adversity. Scripture would say evil even. 
God is not the doer of evil, but He is sovereign over all evil and sin. And He will allow at our, in our lives at times horrific events to unfold. He could prevent them, but He has ordained for His glory and our best good at times to bring these things into our lives and so we can rejoice even though we grieve. We can sing. Number three, the harvest of hard times. I put some questions up on Facebook yesterday and asked the church family, tell me about it. When you've suffered, what have you learned? How has God shown Himself good? And overwhelming responses, one after another, of when I went through the valley, He met me there. What's amazing to me as I look back over my life, some of the most challenging, most difficult, darkest moments of my life, that's when I grew the most. That's when I had roots sink deep into the sure and granite-holding foundation of Christ. God is good to bring hard times because sometimes we need them in order to grow. John Bunyan said, isn't it sad that there are places in the world where the fruit trees do not bear fruit because there's no winter there? And if you know about some of these trees, you know that in order for a, a crop, a bumper crop to come, you have to have a certain temperature drop that is sustained long enough to trigger the process. And if you don't get a winter, you're not going to get an abundant crop. God similarly will do that in our lives. He brings the winter to bring the harvest. Only God can do this. We don't have that kind of capacity. We don't see as He sees. We don't know all He knows. When we suffer, we get more of God. Job's life calls this out. We, we learn by experience, right? It's one thing to know your theology. It's, it's another thing to experience it. In pain. When you are at your weakest and you are at the end of yourself and God meets you with His kindness and His gentleness and His love and faithfulness. Oh, talk to the saints who are older, who have the seasoned gray hairs and ask them, is God faithful? And listen to the responses. Jenny and I have just been struck by this. How many patriarchs and matriarchs of the faith speak of the faithfulness of God by experience. He is kind and compassionate. He is good and He is sovereign. I'll never forget when Mark Wislin was going through his challenge with uh, the swine flu, right? That was, that was uh, long before COVID. And uh, full life support, right? He was in there. And the ventilator was breathing for him. And I've never seen anybody with more wires connected than this guy right here. And I went out and I prayed with Sharon in the hallway. And she looked me in the eye and she said, I tell you what, Pastor, nothing comforts me more in this situation than to know that God is sovereign. He's in control. And he's good. Oh, that shaped me. That shaped my soul. He is wise. And he is 
able. He has all power. Nothing of trials would meet your life if God didn't intend them to. He can stop them. He can prevent them. He can change the course. But He brings them into our lives. He applies the pressure to produce the oil. Pure. Sometimes when in suffering, our inclination is even to question the love of God. Oh, this inclination must be guarded against. Don't ever judge the judge of all. Don't ever shake your fist at the heavens. Don't ever, ever speak the words, how dare you? That is sin. And it's not okay. Wondering where he is? Yes. Calling out to him, oh Lord, help us. We need you. Show yourself strong here. We run to you in need. Yes, all of that. Don't question his love. Here's the amazing reversal that Paul has done in this passage. He says the opposite. It's not questioning God's love. It's the confirmation of his love when you meet trials. When you suffer, you can be reassured of his love. He's at work. He's at work. And in some of these passages, he's saying rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer. That's upside down. That's not our natural inclination. I'm so glad, Lord, that you have chosen to make me the object of pain and suffering because you have chosen to make me worthy of such a gift. How are we worthy of that? In the way that we respond. By giving glory to Him. By trusting Him. And depending and honoring Him in all of this. Affliction, J.C. Ryle says, is one of God's medicine. By it, He often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By it, He often draws souls away from sin and the world which would otherwise have perished everlastingly so. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease. Think of this. Holy disease. It's greater than health. Prosperity and worldly comfort are what we naturally desire, but losses and crosses are far better for us if they lead us to Christ. You know the difference between a murderer and a doctor? Cannot be found in the blade. It's in the heart. A doctor wields the blade and he cuts. But his goal is to heal and to help. A murderer wields the blade, but in a very different goal and motive. To hurt and kill. God is the doctor with the blade. And He will bring it into our lives in love. Sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we're, we're just lost and all we see is the dark. And we look around we can't see how, how could this be good. And He says, trust me. Trust me. I see even when you can't. I'm going to work. And I love you. Listen, when we suffer, 
We suffer as sons and daughters, not enemies anymore. We have the gospel. We've been declared righteous. We, we've, we've been forgiven of our sin. We suffer under the love of God who is working to refine us. And I'm struck by this. First Peter, this is how Peter expressed these things. Beloved, Believers, right? Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. What an amazing way to say this. This is expected, Christians. Joel Osteen needs to read this verse. For real, it blows my mind. It's right there. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Same thing. You see the connection? We rejoice in the glory of God that is coming and we rejoice in our sufferings. Exact same thing in view. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. One of the big problems we have with pain and suffering is that we esteem comfort above holiness. And I speak from my own experience. We are a comfortable people. Just think in, in world history. Just, I mean, I dare you to try to find a more comfortable way of life than we have. Maybe unless you didn't have air conditioning last week. Okay, That may rival a few things. but We are a comfortable people. And when that comfort is threatened by anything, oh, we bristle. Wait a second. I thought you loved me, God. Or I deserve, I deserve my comfort. No, you don't. No, you don't. None of us do. God is far more committed to your holiness than your comfort. If we could just believe that, if we could own that, if that could land in our soul, we would be able to rejoice in pain and suffering like never before. Oh God, I thank you for this gift. It's trying me. It is really hard. And I thank you that in this you are teaching me. You are showing me my desperate need for you. You are refining me deep inside. The psalmist wrote this, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. This is upside down thinking. You don't hear people talking about this in the world. I, I'm, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you afflicted me because of what you taught me. Now, Job said this at the end. Basically, that's what Job said. Talk to people who have gone through hard times and ask them, what did God show you of himself? Let's get into the pain chain now. The pain chain. It's a sequence of events. They're all connected together. God, it's a kind of the, the mechanism of, of being made holy through the pressure, through the pain. First of all, we're strengthened in the trials. The second half of verse 3. Strengthened in the trials. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces or brings about endurance. Endurance. 
Endurance here can be translated as, as steadfastness. That's my favorite word. Steadfastness, it, it, it sounds like what it is, right? Oh, fixed, firm, steadfast. I'm resolved, resolute, unyielding. Endurance can also be translated as patience. Oh, the Lord knows we need more of that. Patience. Perseverance. The Christian life is, more than anything else, authentic Christian living is more than anything else marked by perseverance. We are those that finish the race. The Christian is not the quitter. The Christian is the persevering person who won't let up, even when it's hard. If, even if all we can do is just barely get one foot in front of the next, we keep on going, trusting Him all the way. Fortitude, endurance. You think of a long-distance runner who's building up his ability to, to run for farther distance, right? He begins at the beginning and he's winded after just a little ways. And he knows that I need more running, a more consistent running for longer distances. And over time, you build this endurance so that you can run marathons when before you couldn't. That's what God does with pain in our lives. He gives us the endurance to trust and cling to Him and honestly, friends, as we get older, the pain scale goes up, doesn't it? More stuff goes wrong. Praise the Lord, He gives us some time. At least a lot of cases, we have time to kind of build up that endurance. Now, some of you, it hits all at once. And God's grace is lavish to help hold you and sustain you. Count it all joy, my brothers. James says the exact same thing. When you meet trials of various kinds, any kinds of, of suffering or pain, for you know, this is what you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces, same word, exact same word, steadfastness, endurance, patience, fortitude. Three times Paul says, I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh that it would leave me, but he said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Listen to Paul's response. Therefore, I will boast. I will exult. I will rejoice in more, more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And then he says this, for the sake of Christ, I am content then with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I preached a sermon on that one called Weak is the New Strong. Weak is the New Strong. It's true. It's not about a stiff upper lip. We're just going to get through this. Doesn't kill you, makes you stronger, right? That's the Christian life. No, it's about falling on your face on the floor. I got nothing left, Lord. I am broken. I am needy. Meet me there. You see the difference? It's not stoic, being stoic and, and strong and just pulling yourself up and, and, and self-sustaining. It is completely depending upon the Lord every day. When I am weak, then I am strong. You don't have to pretend when you come to church. You know that. 
This is a hospital for hurting people. You don't have to get all fixed up and, and, and pretend like everything's okay. This is what we do. We come and we look to Christ for help together. My yard has gone through better days. We have underground sprinkling, which I know is another comfort uh, I'm grateful for. Um, the underground sprinkling was not designed for 100 plus temperatures back to back to back. And honestly, my yard has been pretty green to this point. We lived there for over a year. It looks pretty decent. But here's what happened when God applied the furnace out in Linden. We hit 110 in East Linden last time, uh, last week. And my lawn revealed that there were areas that the topsoil was a little too shallow. And that sand dried up and that grass withered. And you can see, I mean, I've got problems right here in this general area. And then up over here, you, I didn't even show you the worst of it in the front. No amount of water is going to fix that, I found out. And my water bill will probably attest. There is a benefit to the pressure. Sometimes we think we are stronger than we are. Sometimes we think we're doing better than we really are. And God will turn up the heat and reveal there are some areas that are good. There are some strengths. There are some, some, some places where it's still green. But, Jeremy, I love you too much not to show you some of these areas too. You're not strong here. You need more dependence. Honestly, one of the first things that happens when we suffer is we realize that our prayer life has not been as dialed in as it ought to be. God teaches us to pray under the pressure. He teaches us to lean into Him like never before when He applies the heat. He strengthens our faith in adversity. It is a gift. It's a gift to be received and rejoiced in. Verse 4, sustaining and proving. Sustaining and proving. The first part of verse 4, I'll read all of the, the sentence here. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Character. Now let's consider this word. Character means, means proven character. I like when they, they add that. It's a proven character. Or my word, provenness. Okay? Anytime you know, preachers are failing for words, they make them up. Okay? This is my couple words here. Testedness. That's what it is. It's, a, it's on the other side of it, something is, 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 is witnessed or owned or viewed. I've passed through the test and, and I have established results now. I've made it through the fire. And I look back. Something's happening in that. God can shape us through the fire. He can make us stronger as we look back then on the other side and say, Lord, I thank you for those scars. I thank you for those scars. Thank you for the, the trial that you brought us through. Now I see, not perfectly, no, we won't, in this life, we will not see even hardly at all of all the things God was accomplishing in those moments. 
but we sometimes are given a glimpse of good things he's accomplished. I think of Brian who lost his dad. And God used that in his life to stir him back to church and brought him here and lit him on fire for the gospel. And he's grown tremendously. I am thankful for the trial that God walked Brian through in losing his dad. As hard as that was. Boot. Character. When your faith presses on through hard times, it proves itself to be genuine and real. Tribulations prove faith the way fire tempers steel. It makes it stronger and shows that it's not lead that looks hard but melts in the, fur in the furnace of affliction. You can have a hunk of lead and be pretty impressed with it. Oh, that's impressive. And then you stick it in the fire and it's, it just melts away. But when you heat that steel, it tempers it, it hardens it, it makes it stronger. So too with the Christian life. We are battle-hardened as we suffer with Him and for Him. We are proven in our, our faith. It's real. You could say it this way, suffering is the litmus test of our faith and hope in God. Anyone can wear the labels, can turn on the radio to 106.5 and drive around, I'm a Christian, man. And then all of a sudden the pressure comes. How will you respond? One of the ways that God purges His church is through suffering. It's one of the reasons why the persecuted church is dialed in. If you stand to lose everything to follow Christ, you're going to think very carefully before you make that jump. Not to say that persecution is good. Don't, I mean, don't, don't think that I'm saying that. But God can use persecution to bring about good. Hmm. Assurance. Assurance is such a blessed gift for the believer. Proven character. Coming through a fire. Coming through a test. Coming through the heat. And looking back proves, Lord, my faith is real. I'm not just saying words. I'm needing you. I leak. I'm looking to you. I, I, I'm desperate for you. But here's what it proves far more than that. It proves Him. It proves Him faithful and good and true. We prove Him over and over and over. That's why our suffering can become a, a megaphone, as someone said. It becomes a megaphone of the truth and trustworthiness of a faithful God. God is good. He is sovereign. He is faithful and true. Jeremy, keep trusting Him. Keep looking to Him. Keep running to Him as you did. This is a gift. It's a gift. The Proving Grounds in Michigan, GM's world-class vehicle testing center. It's supposed to be the nicest in the world. I would love to try it out. I'd, I'd volunteer. Sign me up. I love driving stuff like that. I got to do it a few times in a Corvette, and the Lord put me in the pulpit for a reason because I'd probably be dead if I was on the racetrack. But um, what are they doing here? They are taking new vehicles, and they are putting them to the test. They want to prove 
that those vehicles can handle whatever they throw at them. And so they come up with all kinds of crazy things to test those vehicles. And I think sometimes as they're testing a new vehicle, they may find, wow, this thing is better than we thought, right? Stronger in this area or this category. And every now and then they come across some weaknesses, like in my lawn, right? They're, okay, we got to work on this. Too much noise here. We got a leak in the window over here. Maybe more if it's a GM. No, no, be careful. I don't want to make anybody mad. The point is, you want your vehicle proven. Here's what happens when you drive a vehicle off the proving grounds and it passes every test. You drive into life with confidence. You see what God does through our suffering? He proves himself faithful over and over and over. And all of these trials and all of these challenges, every time he is there, he is faithful. He is good. He is true. We come out of those and then we go into life, whatever comes, with greater assurance and confidence. He's proven himself. And he's taking us through the proving grounds. He's good. And so it leads us to this. Holding and hardening hope. The second half of verse 4. Holding and hardening hope. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character or proven character and character produces hope. Well, that's amazing because that's where we started. Let's dig in here. Hope is the parent and the child of endurance. Martin Lloyd-Jones was quoting someone. He didn't know who said it, and I didn't know who said it because he didn't know who said it. So I'm quoting Lloyd-Jones who said he didn't know. You get my point. It's true. Hope is how it all begins. I hope in the glory of God. I'm confident that I am his. He has promised. He is faithful, and I endure. Lord, we're going in. We're going. This is, this is going to hurt. This is going to be heavy. I'm trusting you. Help me. I'm hoping in you. And as I hope, that hope is, is giving birth to endurance. It is the way we endure. But so too, at the end of this trial, as we look back, endurance is, is giving birth to hope. It's a cyclical experience for the Christian. Because the reality is, is that you're either just coming out of suffering of some form or another, or you're in the middle of it right now. And I know some of you are in a big way. Or you're just approaching it. And you don't even know it, maybe. None of us know what this week will hold. But we know that God does. And that He's good. And that He has our holiness in view. When we suffer, prayer becomes more prominent in our lives. Just, just ask anyone who's gone through a deep, dark valley. Talk to me about prayer. Tell me about prayer. Communing with God. Leaning upon Him. Talking with Him. Listening to His Word, right? His promises become more precious. Oh my goodness, I went through some deep and dark struggles early on here at this church. And there were days where I couldn't even function. I didn't know how to process at all false accusations and slander and 
angry mob trying to fire me for stuff that I didn't do and, and for preaching God's Word, and, and I just couldn't process it all. And so Jenny would get up early in the morning before I was even awake, and she would write these verses on these cards. And there was a stack of them, and each morning she would give me more. And I, there were days where I would just sit at my desk with those verse cards and dwell on the promises of God. He will sustain. He is faithful. You are what I need. You are good. You are sovereign. God's promises become more precious. If you are not a person of the word, suffering will make you one. That's, that's a gift. It's a good gift of God. God's people become more cherished. The church comes alive. Most often we're on the the, the sending side of meals, right? So we show up with the food and, and bless. But every now and then when we're hurting and, and having a hard time, someone shows up at our house with a meal and it's just like, whoa, God is loving me through that amazing food that you dropped off at our house. So we had a, a miscarriage and someone in the church years ago, they, they just brought us flowers. And I'm a guy, but that made me cry. It meant so much. It was their heart more than the actual flowers. We see you. We feel what you feel. We hurt with you. We love you here. That's the church. When one member suffers, we all suffer. When one member rejoices, we all rejoice. God's glory becomes more anticipated. One of the ways God loosens our hold on this life is through suffering. He prepares us. He loosens our grip and causes us to long for eternity. That's one of the reasons aging is what it is, I think. By the time Lee Taylor passed away, he was ready to go. He had suffered eight years of suffering, and then some. And it was time. His hold on this life was wide open. Just take me home, Lord. I'm ready. I want you. God is good in that. Our hope becomes even more certain as we pass through the fire. For this light, momentary affliction, Paul says, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. God gives that to us. He gives that to us. As we suffer, God is preparing. Even in and through that suffering, He's preparing the glory that awaits us through Christ. No regrets. Verse 5, have you seen that commercial? The guy getting the tattoo, no regrets. And it, he looks in the mirror and it says, no regrets. <laughs> Love that commercial. No regrets. Well, maybe. No regrets in this case, for sure. Verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No regrets. Suffering and shame? No. No. There were so many people in Paul's day that looked upon Paul and they were like, Paul, if, if your God is who you're saying He is, 
you're a mess. Why are you suffering like this? Don't you think you should be rolling around in a Rolls Royce wearing a white suit with gold everything? Hmm. You see how we get there? Prosperity gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to show up in Rome. He didn't even know. I'm going to show up in chains. Unashamed. There's no shame here. God does love me. He is for me in this pain. God is for me in this pain. Oh, preach that to your soul. Preach it to your soul. He is for me. It's not against me. He's loving me in this. Even when I don't feel it, He is working His all-wise plan. I have every reason to rejoice to live as Christ, to die as gain. Oh, man. That stands out in our world. The Holy Spirit, God has poured His love. He has done this. He poured it liberally, just overwhelmingly so. He poured it into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Think of the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a suffering Christian. The Spirit is called the Comforter. Think of that. He dwells in you. God lives in you with comfort. And the Spirit opens our eyes to the Word, so He comforts us through the Word of God. He he directs our attention to the Son of God. He gives us conviction of sin to chisel us out and make us holy. All of this is the function of the Holy Spirit, who is yours, the seal of your certain future in glory. No disappointment here, no shame, and no regret. I am sure that neither death nor life, Paul says, nor angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We can suffer like that. Now, our response this morning, just a few encouragements here. Four things. Christian, trust and treasure God, especially when you suffer. Trust Him and treasure Him, especially when you suffer. He is loving you. He is working in you. He is refining you. He is revealing to you the areas that you need to grow and depend more fully. He is becoming more precious to you. Embrace Him even under the pressure of the weight, pain. Number two, be more committed to personal holiness than to personal comfort. Oh, we need to hear this, friends, as Americans. We are so well off. We are so comfortable. And that can become an idol. Safety can be an idol, as we've seen this past year, and so can comfort. God is more committed to your holiness. He's going to make you holy. That is the best thing He can do for you, and He will employ all things that He can at His disposal to accomplish that. And that includes pain and heartache and suffering at times. He's good in this, in the way that He works. Suffer to the glory of God, rejoicing in steadfast hope. Have your feet fixed firmly on Christ. Cling to Him in faith. 
He is our hope alone in this life and the next. And number four, sing of his faithfulness and tell your story. One of the reasons I wanted to put that up on Facebook like that is because I, I, I had the inclination to go straight up open mic. Let's just let the service run as long as we need. We'll pass that mic around. And I want to hear you tell of his faithfulness, how he walked you through the fire and was with you every step of the way. Was it easy? No, it was terrible. It was horrible. But he was faithful. Your brothers and sisters need to hear that story. It equips our faith when we hear that. And we bless one another as we share. Let's pray. Oh, sovereign God, sovereign over Satan, sovereign over suffering and pain, Sovereign over our lives. Good and faithful are you. We give thanks and praise to you. Even we rejoice in our trials, in our sufferings. We boast all the more gladly in our weakness because you show yourself strong. You are faithful. Oh, you are faithful. You are good. We delight to prove you over and over. You are precious to us, O oh God. We pray as we leave this building today that we would truly be equipped, invincibly equipped with these truths to live for your glory, to delight in you rejoicing even when we mourn, to cling to you and point the world to do so as well. O oh Jesus, we love you. Thank you for being our hope, our treasure, our King. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.